knowledge is power, you understanding your body and then understanding who to ask, what to ask, what to try. And to be like, this is the rest of your life. Like, why not start showing up for yourself and making your life the life you want? And whether that's, you know, whether that's hormones, whether that's talking about sex, whether that's deciding to lift heavier weights to get your muscles up in midlife, which is huge, whether that's reexamining your relationship with alcohol, right? Of really like midlife is the time to be like, what am I going to clean up? You know, what what bad habits from my 20s aren't serving me anymore? And that realizing this can be a very empowering time. Hey friends, welcome to The Good Life with Michelle Lamoureux, a show for women in midlife who want to live happier, healthier, and more meaningful lives. I'm your host, Michelle Lamoureux, a self-love coach and the author of Design a Life You Love, and together we're going to be doing just that. Each week I bring on world-class experts, best-selling authors, leading entrepreneurs, and also do solo casts with the intention of inviting you to get connected to what you really desire from your life. This show is produced with love every week. There's inspiration and actionable tips in every episode because I want to see women playing a starring role in their lives instead of living on the sidelines. Be sure to join the Good Life Community newsletter over at thegoodlifecoach.com for more inspiration and tips to live your best midlife. And make sure you're following the show on your favorite podcast player. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey friends, it's Michelle Lemoreau and welcome back to the show. We have a great one lined up for you. Today we're talking sex ed 101 with our favorite doctor, Dr. Kelly Kasperson, who is a repeat guest. She's a urologic surgeon, author, sex educator, and top international podcaster whose mission is empowering women to live their best love lives. Dr. Kasperson developed a sex education membership for women that covers topics like sexual health, intimacy, and the science of desire. And she hosts the top-ranked podcast, You Are Not Broken, where she dismantles the myths women have learned and normalizes healthy, enjoyable sex worth desiring. She also gave a TEDx talk called Why We Need Adult Sex Ed. And I hope you're ready for class, ladies, because the doctor is here and we're going to jump in. Welcome back, Dr. Kelly. Thanks for having me again. This is great. Oh, I was listening to our first interview where we talked about how to have a great love life in midlife. And um, you're so funny and you just, you brought all the education we needed, but with humor. And I really appreciate that about you because not not everyone's funny. It's huge. I mean, humor is a way for adults to learn. Totally. Because right? when you're having fun, you don't really mind that you're learning something. So it's it's like, surprise, you're learning something and you're laughing. That's right. That's right. I think that's secret, true. Secret for, weapon. And for some reason, sex makes people uncomfortable and they find themselves already kind of wanting to yeah. have a reason to laugh and giggle to like not show their discomfort. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you a question about that you kicked off your TEDx talk where you mentioned that you had a patient in your office crying because she had a sexless marriage and low libido. And at that time, I know that's changed. You said you didn't know how to help her. So take us back into Dr. Kelly then, and then you dived into the yeah. research because you th- that would not be an issue for you now. So talk to no. us what happened. Yeah. 
I mean, I was just, I was seven years into my career after training, just doing what I was taught. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of the, the, the lightning, I, I call it the seven year itch, right? Of like, yes. watch out because either boredom's going to get you or something. And uh, I was just, I was ready. I was at the point where I'm like, you're good at what you do. You know, you, you kind of just show up and put in the hours. And, and I was ready to be like, I need something that's interesting. Yeah. And that, you know, can help people. And, and so basically, I think the universe just landed her in my office that day. And I, and I was realizing like, I don't know. And who does know? And oh, a lot of people know, but why isn't it getting out there? Yes. Right. And then really realizing my role now as the communicator, right? The person who can do it funny, the person who can do a good interview. Because it's I started out MD PhD, you know, in okay. my in my career. And, and I was like, dude, microscopes and research papers, like I hate them. They're too slow, but like <laughs> I can translate them. And I'm really the communicator now mm -hmm. to be like, there's, there is actually is tons of great research on what works and best practices, but it's not getting out there. Yes. And so really to be like, I don't need to go do more research. I was actually in New York for a menopause thing. And they're like, we need more research. And it kind of raised my hand and I'm like, we actually have good research. It just doesn't get out. Interesting. Like what's what's the role of disseminating the research that we do have? So I think that's you know the, the journey of my life now is forever changed with the, the podcast and the book and the TED Talk because I'm like, oh my gosh, people know stuff. It just doesn't trickle down. Yes. And so many people are suffering because of lack of resources and like knowing what normal is. Totally. And I want to acknowledge you though because I think. A page, that same patient could have ended up in some other doctor's office and that doctor may have felt bad for them and kind of known that they didn't know what to do at that time, but they wouldn't have do dove into the research and they wouldn't have kind of changed yeah. the way that they practice. So I want to just acknowledge you for that and say thank That's you. Thank no, you. <laughs> but it's true. It's true because, you know, I think the medical system does its best, the best that it can within the framework that exists. Yeah. But there's doctors like you who are saying, you know what, it's not actually good enough. And we've, we've let the women down specifically. And mm -hmm. I'm not okay with that. Cause I know from your book and from talking to you before, like me, you're a feminist, you care about taking women to the next level. So thank you for that. Yeah, um, I, I think one of the one of the things that sets me apart is my lens from coming from the male, you know, training standpoint of like, yes. I was trained by men, the genitals that we cared about were, were male, you know, the, the sexual function we cared about is male. And then me being like, I always thought the gynecologists were taking care of this. And then in my education, like how many abnormal vulva exams do I do? Where these women are like, I was told three times this was normal. And I'm like, yes. this isn't this isn't normal. Of course you have yes. pain. Of course you can't orgasm, blah, blah, blah. So really looking at it from an equality of like, I'm not asking for a moonshot. I'm just asking for equal. And that I think is is speaking to people. Yes. And just uh, you've talked about this. So 10% of urologists are women. Is that right? Did I That's get right. that correct? Yep. In okay. training, in training yes. it's 30%, 30 to 35%. Oh, okay. But it is in practice and that's going to take a while to get, you know, cuz there's only 200 in training a year. Yes. But um to to move the needle is actually going to somebody did a paper on that. They're like when is urology going to be 50-50 and it's like decades from now. The, yeah. the rate the, the rate that it's going. Yeah. Who comes to see you? Like is it mostly men? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know enough about your practice specifically. Like I, I've got my primary cares. I've got my GYN. I got my derm. 
dermatologist, yeah. but uh, uh, when and who comes see who comes to see you? I see. I see the majority female, and I think any female urologist will skew that way because number one, we're we're a special unicorn, yes. and and people who have female issues want to go to somebody who understands that. And and, okay. and I used because we under I know what a urinary tract infection feels like. <laughs> like there's just something to seeing a female for female bits issues. So I see, but I still I see about thirty percent male. Okay, for, you know, general urology male stuff. Okay. But what are those general, like, I don't even, like uh, you did an awesome um, episode on um, prolapse uterus, right? I don't know. Am I saying that right? So yeah. So prolapse of the vagina, vagina. uh, which can include uterine prolapse, um, did an episode on that because it's incredibly common Yeah, and the education is so poor. I see all these women and they're like, I went to the ER because I thought I was dying. I went to the ER because I thought it was a tumor. And I'm like, oh, our education is just really low for something that's very common. Very <laughs> so common. true. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like 50% of women I read before or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, it depends upon how you grade it, if it's bothersome okay. or not. Yeah. But okay. anybody, who had, anybody who has a vaginal delivery will have some amount of vaginal laxity compared to a pelvis that didn't push a baby through it. Right. Okay. So it just kind of starts out as laxity, but then Things change through midlife. Our estrogen goes down if we don't support that. Our pelvic muscle strength goes down if we don't support that. And the conditions for more laxity then kind of snowball. Okay. And so you see it a lot more postmenopause. Okay. And what do we do to not have that laxity? Uh, lots of kind of lifestyle things. Don't be constipated. <laughs> Constipation's horrible for your pelvic floor. <laughs> Chronic cough, getting that treated, right? Certainly okay. smoking, certainly overweight, anything that's added pressure. And I'm not talking, some people come in and I'm like, I'm not talking five pounds, but like significant weight on the pelvis just adds more pressure to it. Okay. Um, keep our muscle strength up. There is a study showing hand grip strength because that's easier to measure, right? Yeah. Is associated with less bladder leakage, less prolapse. So muscles matter. Uh, I I know that there's a role in of hormones in that because of collagen, right? Collagen strength layers, things like that. So hormones, if you choose to use them, are probably helpful. Your pelvic floor physical therapist is an amazing human. People don't know they exist. No. They're amazing. Okay. Okay. Every time see? I talk about pelvic floor PT, all the PTs who listen, they'll be like, thank you so much for talking about pelvic floor. <laughs> like, every time they're like, thank you so much. Because people don't know they exist. And oh, they're totally amazing. Okay. This is so good. Okay. So what are the sexual issues that men and women come to see you for? Like yeah. just if so somebody's going to show up, what are they, what are they concerned about? Male. So penis owners, erectile dysfunctions, number one, um, ejaculatory issues. People don't, and people, again, things people don't know. Erections are different from orgasm, which is different from ejaculation. They all have different like biomechanical things, right? So okay. you can have great erections, trouble with orgasm. You can have an orgasm, but it can be a dry ejaculation. You can have a component of all the three, let alone l- low libido, which is different than your erections working, but mm. can sometimes be tied in. Okay. Um, and then other things for men would be Peyronie's disease, which is a curvature of the penis significant enough to either be painful or to prevent penetrative intercourse. Um, mm. So that's a scar tissue that can develop like along the shaft of the penis. Peyronie's mm. uh, disease. What else am I missing? Oh, premature ejaculation. So basically ejaculating too short of a time for you to find that pleasurable. Like you wish you could last longer. And we're not talking mm. like 
it was 20 minutes and I wished it could be a half an hour. Like I just saw a guy, he's like, I ejaculated in 10 minutes. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're normal. Cause people don't know what normal is. Uh, we don't get any nobody sex knows what normal is. Okay. Nobody well, knows what why. normal is. Yeah. So if you take a penis and you put it in a vagina on average, they're going to ejaculate between five and seven minutes. See, this people is why f- this is good. No, thank you. And this is why I'm asking about the men too, for those of us who've got male partners, yeah. like it's good to know what issues they're dealing with too, because that yeah. might be impacting what's happening in the bedroom. Yeah. I mean, erectile dysfunction, yeah. erectile dysfunction is very interesting. I just did a, an episode on my podcast about it. Yeah. Um, it, it, I did a testosterone episode on it, but really the canary in the coal mine for heart disease for men is how well their penis functions because the penis has smaller arteries okay. than your heart coronary arteries. Right. And so the penis arteries tend to be affected first. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, for people to blow off erectile dysfunction is like, it's actually a marker of your overall body functioning. Okay. This is so interesting. And 30 to 40 year old men start having this. Is this what I, okay. So it's younger than I, you know, I think they think think it's, yeah, the CDC thing I quoted in the Ted talk, 40% of men by age 40. Yeah. Go up by decade, 50 by 50, 60 by 60, 70 by 70. Okay. Keep your statistics easy for people. Okay. Well, it's, Okay. And so tell us what are the issues women are dealing with? Like you mentioned the woman who came in with the low libido. Yep. So low libido, people say low libido is the number one complaint um, that women bring into their doctors for sexual dysfunction. I think dryness and pain, if that's not number one, is a close second. Yeah. Um, Genital urinary syndrome of menopause. So because our education about menopause is so crappy, like yes. people just think it's a hot flash. And then when the hot flash is done, then yes. menopause is done. And then yes. there's no more things, right? Like that's kind of the stereotype. And so when people get dryness, pain with sex, urinary tract infections, burning when you pee, overactive bladder, and it's been five years since their periods, they don't correlate at all that that's a menopause thing. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Because our education, we don't really understand like your estrogen goes to zero and then it stays at zero. And the longer it stays at zero, the more things happen. Okay. Whether that's osteoporosis, heart disease, you pick. Um, For women pel- now we're talking. Yeah. yeah. Pel- pelvis changes. Obviously estrogen. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So sexual complaints would be low desire, genital mm-hmm. urinary syndrome of menopause, orgasmic issues. Am I missing anything obvious? let you know. Okay. So what are some of the, like, you know, men, I know they have the Viagra or whatever. So let's talk about, so like pain with sex. I know you're a fan of using lube. We talked about that the first time, but talk to us about vaginal estrogen. Cause I know you're also a fan of getting women on oh, that. I mean, vaginal estrogen is over the counter in multiple countries. Okay. It's, it's an access issue in America because Canada is not any better. Because you have to go to a doctor for it. And then usually if you don't know the secrets, it's quite expensive. And this isn't a single time use medication. This is like, I tell women, like, think of it like a a fancy skincare, like you're going to use it twice a week, right? Just like your fancy skincare Um, really helps collagen, elastin, moisture, the pH of the vagina, which gets out of whack when your estrogen goes down. So you're more prone to urinary tract infections. Well, you know, I see tons of women for urinary tract infections and I ask them, I'm like, do you know that there's a medication that decreases your risk of UTI by like 50 to 60%? And they're like, no, I want that. I'm like, it's vaginal estrogen. Wow. They're drinking and, cranberry juice. Yeah. They're drinking, you know, or they're 
I think so many cranberry supplements because supplements aren't standardized yes. is, um, you know, you don't really know, but we know like the cranberry supplements that are made from the skins yeah. and the companies that actually make the high quality one. We do have some evidence that they do help some people. Yeah. Um, but so many women, they don't know that there's things they can do to prevent urinary tract infections. Okay. So Dr. Kelly, what do you want women to know about when to start vaginal estrogen? Like, is it when they're in perimenopause? At what point? Like, do they want to get ahead of it so they don't end up with the GM, GM, GSM? GSM, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the big question, right? Is Because okay. Western, and this is how I always explain it, Western medicine is very good at treating problems. Yes. We're very crappy at preventing problems. Yes. Right? And yes. so your question is a prevention question. Like, Correct. Why do we have to, because it's always silly to me, why do I have to wait for you to have issues? <laughs> Because for me, like I see women and they're like, I stopped having sex seven years ago because it was too painful. Oh, and this right? can help. Wait, vaginal estrogen can help with vaginal pain Huge. during sex. Okay. Yeah. Now, now pain with sex is complicated. It can be yeah. multiple different things. Yeah. But if it is because of general urinary syndrome of menopause or low estrogen, vaginal estrogen is a game changer. It's dryness. Um, dryness then? Dryness. It's okay, Dryness, yeah. tightness, um, sensitivity. Yeah. Not and the not the sexy, not the sexy yeah. yeah, type of but the uncomfortable type of sensitivity. Yeah. Um, so the question is, do you just at age 55 right. say, here's your mammogram, here's your colonoscopy, here's your vaginal estrogen? Right. I don't think anybody's doing a study on that right now, but I can yeah. tell you the pros are like, why would I wait for my labia to resorb and my clitoris to atrophy before I did something <laughs> about it? Right. Wait, like, can you... I just ask, does it come back with the cream? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the cream actually can rejuvenate it. So maybe they're like, oh, we'll just let them suffer and then we'll, we'll fix them later. It's crying shame. It but is. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the question. Cause I'm like, Hey, the ladies in the UK can just go get some over the counter and start doing some good, you know, pelvic care, but I don't have studies okay. to point to, to tell yes. you yes. that that's a best practice. Yes. But okay. I, I kind of answer the question and being like, do you want a problem to, because if genital urinary syndrome of menopause happens in 50 to 80% of women post-menopause. Okay. Got it. And it's probably that, starting it, in perimenopause because as the estrogen is declining, right? Things and, does, and I see that a lot. Women come in and they say, well, I can't have, my doctor says I can't have vaginal estrogen because I'm still having periods. And then I respond like, freaking throw in an IUD, stop your periods, like get on the vaginal estrogen. The point, point being, you don't have to do that. But the point is right. like, what the hell does a period have to do with any of it? Right. Because hormones really start fluctuating dramatically in perimenopause. And it's absolutely a thing that you can get dry, dryness with sex, urinary tract infections, overactive bladder, and still have periods. So okay. using it, let alone all the women who don't have uteruses or aren't having periods, but they're not postmenopausal, right? Like using yeah. a period as a reason for something doesn't make a lot of sense when you think it's about it. It's just how we treat women. It's how we treat women. It's just how we treat yeah. women. Let's just. I'm always like, it. take a step back. Does this make any sense? <laughs> just think about it rationally. Yeah. Your right. twin, your twin who had a hysterectomy, she gets to be on vaginal estrogen at age 46, but you don't because you're still having periods. That doesn't make any sense. Right. And do you have a preference for the cream versus the inserts? Uh, well, I have a cream bias because it's cheap. Okay. And because I think we should treat the urethra, the clitoris, the you labia. You put it everywhere. Like, I think of it as like skincare and I think the cream's the best at that. Now, other people will say it and they're not wrong of like the best product is a product that the woman's going to use. 
So if she likes using the tabs, great. Right. It's, but I see a lot of people, they come in, they're like, I'm on these tabs and I still have symptoms and I do an exam and I'm like, you need more hormones than than what you're doing. And there's more control with the cream because you can just use a little more if you need it. Yeah. Totally. We, yeah. I, yeah. I, I just, I have a cream bias. Um, but I say that so people know, like I right. have a cream bias, not right? Because I you know, have any ownership in the. I just like the product, and it's <laughs> right. a, dollar for dollar. It tends to be what's cheapest now, right? It's and, more and I like because this is you know post menopause is forty years of your life if you're lucky. True. So you need it. You're don't buying it every month. Your house. Yeah. Don't yeah. remortgage your house for your vaginal estrogen. <laughs> I mean, you uh, can have sh- your home, or you can have a right. You can have you can have less urinary tract infection. <laughs> right. um, yeah. The I mean, the other product that's available, which is awesome, is it's called Prasterone or Intrarosa is the brand name, FDA approved. It's a vaginal DHEA suppository. Okay. It's, it's awesome. It's absolutely great. And so DHEA converts into testosterone and estrogen locally. Oh, in the vagina. Again, none of these are systemic. None of these are going into your body. This is all just pelvic. Um, But the problem with DHEA or Interosa is it's expensive. Okay. So it's brand name. It's not a generic. Works fantastic. So if you can afford it or your insurance covers it, it's a great product. Can be a game changer for some people. But I wouldn't say that's accessible to everybody. Okay. So in terms of the sex ed and what's maybe preventing sex, you talked about, you know, the pain and the low libidos coming maybe from the fact that they're having pain, right? I don't know. And then the dropping in the estrogen. And then you mentioned a third thing, the lack of orgasm. What did you say? Oh, just trouble trouble having having orgasm, which again, I think a lot of it is lack of education, right? Where did, what did we learn sexes? We learned sexes putting a penis in a vagina okay. that actually achieves orgasm in about 30% of people Yes, in in best case scenarios. And in a lot of those people, it is with concomitant clitoral stimulation. Okay. So I, I, there's a lot of people that have never had an orgasm just because they've never ha- given themselves permission to have their own orgasms. So yes. they don't even know how the, what their body needs. Yes. And they have a partner who also doesn't know female female biology. Right. They think it needs to be penis and vagina sex. Yeah. And so they're bigger, not stimulating bigger, the clitoris yeah. or doing anything to... Um, and what about hormonally related? Like if you were having orgasms and not anymore? Yeah. Then I, the first thing I would do is be like, what's going on with your hormones? Are you breastfeeding? Are you you know, post-menopause? Do you need to get back on the hormones? Is your estrogen low? Is your testosterone low? Kind of all of that stuff. They are okay. looking at some non-hormonal, you know, the... the um, FDA-approved medication for hypoactive sexual desire disorder, which is Addy or Flibanserin, um, non-hormonal, used for low desire, but um, they're having some good orgasm data come come from people who use that too. So that's that's the role of dopamine in the brain. So interesting stuff. The ISHWISH is the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. At some point, they're coming out with orgasm guidelines. Stay tuned, but it's probably going to be a couple more years. It'll be nice when we have those. And who's doing the research? Are there women on that committee, I hope? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I mean, Ishwish is just for women's sexual health. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's just for, okay. But yeah. I didn't know if all the doctors on the, you know, doing the I research so. are men. No. I don't know. We I want think, so. I think it's a, there. I think it's everyone. Okay, that's yeah. good. It's not the way it used to be then. Yeah, that's right. The yeah. research, it's like, well, we care Those about Those guidelines men. will not include drink a glass of wine. Oh my God, it's right, right. And take, take an antidepressant and just go away. Um, yeah. So tell us, sex ed, it's like 
there's like an obsession, like every TV show, every comedy, like friends, even big bang theory. I just started watching that. Like I'd never seen it. Every episode talks about sex. Like everybody wants to talk about sex except when they really need to talk about sex with their partners. So if you could wave like the Dr. Kelly Casperson magic wand and like change sex ed, what would it look like? Cause clearly, you know, what we got in middle school, read chapter one, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, during so bad. Yeah. During study hall with your, your, your gym teacher. Disease that, yeah. and pregnancy prevention plan. Yeah. And that's right. The focus is all on disease and prevention of pregnancy. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. So what would you do? What would, what would it look like? Uh, body anatomy that the clitoris is as important as the penis. Yeah. Right? I mean, think of it. My sex ed showed pictures of the uterus and fallopian tubes and ovaries. Yeah. It was all the reproductive I, organs, right? Yeah. Which I've never knowingly used to achieve pleasure during intimacy. But like, we don't, <laughs> women's bodies are completely erased from the conversation, which just shows how well, how much we prioritize her sexual experience. Right? Yeah. So it's really anatomy knowledge um, and then communication. And that in community, just better communication. And how do we get rid of the shame though? And the discomfort and the, yeah. you know, the talk, sh- you have to talk about it. Shame does not exist. I think Brene Brown said this, so I, I can't take credit for it, but it, like shame yeah. evaporates in sunlight or shame can't live in sunlight. Right. Of like, if you expose it and be like, man, and people are like, how do you talk about it? And I'm like, you talk about it by saying how uncomfortable you are talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like yeah. you basically like, get re- you realize oh i didn't die and that yeah. might have actually been good and then realizing that the sex conversation is a multiple conversations it's not like we talked about it once what do you mean you want to talk about it again of like no 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 our bodies change our relationships change there's always stuff going on affect- affecting your sex life right yes of like always check in how are you doing how do you think we're doing how do you think our sex life is you can have an amazing relationship and the sex yes. isn't great Yes. And they're not like things that automatically go together. Conversely, you can have amazing sex and your relationship is not good. Right. So like people are like, oh, it should just be good. It's like, no, it's a different skill set, totally different skill set than like running a household and figuring out your retirement plan. Totally. Yeah. And you, like you mentioned, you could be having a kid, breastfeeding, have an ill parent, somebody's got, uh, I don't know, cancer, you know, yeah. all these yeah, things, health issues, have, health issues, some sort of health issues. So how do you, what would you recommend to like your patients or, you know, the women listening? Like, what do you say about how to broach communication? Cause I think you like to, you talk about, talk, talk about it before it's in a problem, which is great. Yeah. Advice, I mean, right? ideally, right. <laughs> like, right. You talk about it when it's good. And yeah, you know, I love the saying, I think Rachel Rubin said it of like, nobody's so good at sex that they can't get better of like, want to talk about it when it's good. I mean, how much do people like knowing when things are good? It's fun, right? Like things good for you. Yeah, totally. You? Yeah. Awesome. Sweet. Right. right. <laughs> like, so they're not, so that we can talk about, about this now because if it's not at some point, I want to be able to talk to you about it. So I do want to talk about it when it's good to set us up for when it's not good and, and kind of normalizing the fact that like sexuality and sex lives and relationships ebb and flow. Yeah, and what turns us on when we're fifty six is might be different than what turned us on when we were twenty four, totally. and that's okay. And really, I think that's another part of sex ed is like body knowledge of like sometimes penises don't always cooperate. You know, sometimes you need more lube than other times. 
Like that's just what bodies, that's how bodies are. And really this body, like, I think that fits into like this body acceptance, right? Of like, these are not perfect machines. They don't always operate on demand. Like right. we need to be, you know, loving and flexible. And if you can laugh, like bonus points, like we're just trying to figure it out, trying to have some fun in this, you know, meat suit we were given. Try to figure it out. In our meat <laughs> So, um, well, what do you say, like, you had mentioned in your book and in the TED talk too, that, you know, oftentimes when there's like somebody with the low desire that the other partner blames that person. So if that's a common issue, how do we address that? Yeah. That desire discrepancy in a relationship is normal. First of all, we just standardize that. Like you like Italian food and your partner likes Mexican. Like you're not fighting over that, trying to make him like Italian food more. Right. Okay. Like you desire different things at different amounts in your life. That's normal. Sex is one of those things. Okay. And you might desire it more now and he might desire it more in five years. Also very normal. Right. And so understanding all of those dynamics, because so many people they get very isolated, shame based. I were the everybody else is having amazing sex lives. I know this. No, you don't. You no. you never they're lying to you even if they're telling you it's all good, but <laughs> so many people are like everybody's having great sex except for us probably not, right? Like yeah. that's not what the statistics say. So just really normalizing people's experience, and then that you know a desire issue is a couple's problem, the blaming, the shaming, the pointing, the you should, you better, you ought to, or else like that is not helpful behavior. Okay. Do you find that like Gen X are less likely to go to the doctors than like the millennials? Like, are there certain, are you seeing anything generationally where there's more comfort at, at a certain, you know, maybe the boomers yeah. don't really want to talk about it? I don't know. I was just curious. Are you seeing that in your practice at all? As far as sex, I think, I, I mean, I talk to 84 year olds about sex. I see 20 year olds with sex problems. So I wouldn't okay. say anybody's immune to having it. I think so many people think like the younger people, are doing great because they have all this access to education. And I'm like, they're not though, because a lot of what a lot of what they're accessing is not educational, right? It's it's wrong. Not wrong in like a morality, but wrong as far as like Hollywood does not portray what no a normal sexual human experience is. Yes. Right. It's not what gets the views. Yes. Um but yeah, I mean I think just the younger generations aren't and studies sh show this the younger generations don't have kind of an established doctor-patient relationship like the older, like, oh, interesting. You know, I have older patients who are like, I've been seeing Dr. Blah, blah, blah for 35 years. Totally. They like their doc. They stay with their doc. Yeah. Yeah. But I think yeah. in the current culture, like doctors are not staying at the same job anymore. The, you know, the employment of doctors are a lot more, they come and they go. Um, and then really the, I think the shortage of healthcare access is a lot of younger people. They don't have a doctor. They don't have a yearly exam was talking to somebody yesterday and they're like, has like the annual changed? And I'm like, annual means yearly. And she's like, yeah, I know. Like, but has it changed to like every three or five years? You're like, it's annual. Yeah. But I don't think people like have that as much anymore. And studies, studies show that. That's interesting. Yeah. Not that, I don't not know. that people who have regular doctors were doing any better about talking to their doctor about sex. You know, well, that's, that's, the thing. that's something that doctors aren't really trained in. Well, the doctors aren't trained in, I think probably, especially if you're not seeing the same doctor every year and there's no relationship, you're going to be less likely to bring up an issue because you're going to be totally embarrassed or like yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. 
right? And yeah. then if they maybe possibly do dismiss you, then forget it. And they're probably never going to want to talk to anyone about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. That happens. Anything with um, menopause and sex? So what 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 happens to us during menopause? All um, the hormones go away. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd love to like sugarcoat that and make it sound more whatever, but it's yeah. like people don't understand your ovaries stop making hormones. That's what menopause is. It's not hot, a hot flash and then it's done, right? Okay. Like you are having hot flashes for multiple reasons. We haven't even figured out all the reasons why, but it's because our bodies stop making hormones. And if men's testicles stopped making hormones at age 50, there'd be a national vaccine. Right? Totally, because totally. for for many people it is it's consequential, right? Okay, and, and it, you know the two I always say the two biggest reasons that women stop having sex after menopause is availability of partner and menopausal symptoms. And then I always joke and I'm like, I can't help you with the first problem. But, <laughs> but if, maybe I mean, that's coming next with your right, if you have yeah. if you have yep. more anxiety if you're not yeah. sleeping if you're yeah. having hot flashes if your joints ache if your shoulder is sore if your vagina is dry all of these things that are happening because of low hormones you don't feel like having sex right sexuality happens in the realm of a healthy body a healthy you know by and large it could be a barometer right of like, yes. how stressed are you how well are you sleeping? Yeah. Do you exercise? Right. Like sex is kind of a, it can be a lot easier when those things are going for you. Not to say that, you know, people with health issues can't have great sex lives. They can. But when you look at women in menopause, their untreated menopause symptoms are a big reason. You just don't feel like having sex anymore. Your body's changing, right? Your fat distribution's changing, all because of hormones. And again, it's the lack of education. It totally people is. don't they don't understand that they think there's something wrong with them or you know then they just think crazy things like oh it must be because i'm lazy or no it's because your estrogen zero yeah you're uh, welcome and i'm sorry like this is this is how it is totally but there we have good data to say that estrogen helps desire not in everybody we have good data to say testosterone helps desire not in everybody because sex isn't black and white it's not just yeah. hormones what but is the data? Can be helpful. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but what is the data on testosterone? Because I've been hearing you talk more about that. And I'm just curious because we hear about the estrogen and the progesterone that we need, let's say in HRT, mm -hmm. but testosterone isn't part of that, but it's an important hormone. Yeah. So what do we know? But, I mean, we got to go back to education again, right? Because if I just start being like, testosterone's amazing, people are like, she's crazy. Because people don't know that the most abundant hormone out of those three in a female body is testosterone. Yeah, we definitely don't know that. <laughs> and yeah, we don't know that. <laughs> no. You know, and, and I was actually just listening to a podcast yesterday. It was uh, two fitness people. They were doing an episode on menopause. So I'm like, oh, let's see what they say about this. Yeah. And they're like, are your most abundant hormones estrogen? And I'm like, eh. wrong. Yeah. It's not. And yeah. the only way you can get estrogen in your body, yeah. the only reason that you have estrogen is because it's converted from either testosterone or another androgen. Oh, interesting. That's so really fascinating. To be technically correct, yes. the ovary makes testosterone, wow. which then makes estrogen. Wow. Okay. It's, it's crazy. So no, it's fascinating. Always, it, but in order for me to be like, testosterone's good, yes. you have to understand testosterone's quite abundant in your body in your 20s and your 30s. It diminishes it too with menopause. Yeah, it diminishes too. It doesn't kind of go off the cliff of like 
estrogen zero, now, zero no yeah. t- no periods like it, that's kind of a very kind of more not that anything's cut and dry in yeah anatomy, yeah testosterone's more it can start waning certainly in perimenopause um and some people you know they've got decent testosterone until years after menopause so everybody's a little bit different okay. but really the acceptable reason and I say acceptable in air quotes, but acceptable reason for a woman to use testosterone is low libido. We have great data on that. Now, take a step back, as I always like taking a step back. Take a step back. Why is the only legit reason for a woman to take testosterone to have her to have sex with somebody? She should right. be able it, to. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. <laughs> could there, could there be other reasons she may benefit from testosterone than? her being interested in sleeping with somebody yeah yes muscles so muscles cardiovascular health bone mm. health brain huge we're going to see more and more i think with brain lifting the brain fog um treating depression wound healing wow so, yeah yeah testosterone's big but and is testosterone's- it cream uh so yeah it's again access issues yeah in, in our country yeah, if they're Australia's, not giving out HRT, their the testosterone is not being discussed. I didn't mean yeah, to yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. hard to get, yeah. uh, you know, it's hard to get the estrogen, which I think is the more like acceptable one. But Australia is the only country that currently has a, an approved testosterone patch. Wow, they're doing the studies in the UK. There used to be a patch in Europe. It just wasn't used very much. Um, I think some people would argue it was a low, it was too low dose. Women weren't noticing a benefit. Yes. But um, so in America, we have to use a male product that is dosed for females. Okay. Which is tricky. Yeah. Right? Because it's off it label, which yeah. means your insurance doesn't cover it. So it's right? expensive. Yeah. So it's expensive. A lot of doctors don't know how to do it or they're not comfortable doing it or they don't. I mean, for me, it's a hassle from the pharmacies. The pharmacies are being a, you know, a big barrier for me of like, do you know what you're doing? Do you know that this is a woman? Like the ridiculous <gasps> phone calls. Yeah. The ridiculous phone calls I get from pharmacy. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then women will go to the pellet people, right? Which is, it's just, it's higher dose testosterone. I am not, mm-hmm. I'm not as anti, if I ever was anti pellet, I'm not anti pellet. Yeah. I just think it's your higher dose option, which has more side effects. It's expensive. Yeah. Um, so I, to me, it's not the answer, but I understand why it helps some people. I think some women do need higher testosterone to feel good, Yeah, but by and large, it's more of more of a supra therapeutic dosing than where okay. you can get with the, the FDA approved products, but your insurance doesn't cover because they're not FDA approved for women. Okay. And Dr. There's Kelly. your long testosterone. Well, That's like no, an entire podcast. Well, I think my audience is pretty well educated now with all the different people who have come on. And I, I want the advice to come from a doctor. Like you said, you were listening to two fitness pr- professionals talk about it. I want the people who've done the research and have access to the data and are seeing patients and, you know, have that experience. But who does a woman seek out? Like, I have a feeling that most u- urologists probably aren't as educated as you. Is that a fair guess? I mean, like who who would a woman I mean, have this conversation yeah. with? I mean, look at look, I didn't I did not become knowing what I know because of my training, right? right. Like right. I had to go learn all this, and that's that's not something we all have the bandwidth or interest for. If you're not True. taught this, right? As how are you going to learn? It? How are you yeah. going to get it unless you have like a you know a lightning bolt moment? Yeah. Like I did. So if um, a friend went to you and they couldn't go to you, for example, who would you send them to? Would you send them to their gynecologist or to another like guy? I, 
God, do not get me wrong. Freaking love the guides, but in my experience, it can be very hit or miss. Okay, you've got the you've Same got thing. the like yeah, you've got people who are like menopause certified. They're on top of it. They're like all of the hormones. Let's do it safely. Let's find it inexpensive. Like that's my dream, right? Okay, like yes, safe, appropriately dosed, yes. inexpensive because this is not a one time thing. Yeah, that's my that's my dream on the hormones. Um, okay, and but then you know you got other guides who are like. This is just what aging is. Deal with it. Have a glass of wine. Suck it up. You know, like all that kind of old school training. Totally. You know, I'll, I'll blame it on that. Sure. Um, so tips, two resources, International Please. Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, which is Ishwish. You can go find a provider. That's not just physicians. That can also be sex therapists, physical Perfect. therapists, kind of all the realms of female sexual health. Yes. Type in your zip code find somebody that way. Yeah. So that's kind of like your sex med pathway into hormones. Okay. And then your other kind of hormone pathway is the menopause society, formerly known as the North American Menopause Society or NAMS. You can type in find a provider. Now that doesn't guarantee you that they're all going to do hormones or anything, but they went through the menopause training to say I'm certified by the menopause society in menopause care. Okay. Um, you so you read my more, mind. I was going to yeah. ask for resources. You're awesome. Yeah. That's perfect. So I'd say those two, you know, type in your code are great places to start. Perfect. Because at least you're you're more likely to be finding a doctor that's going to be able to help you. Um, anything I didn't ask today that you're like, I really want the women listening to know or be thinking about. Well, like what do you want to share? Anything? I mean, I think going from back for, to like the empowerment of like knowledge is power you understanding your body and then understanding who to ask, what to ask, what to try. And to be like, this is the rest of your life. Like, why not start showing up for yourself and making your life the life you want? And whether that's, you know, whether that's hormones, whether that's talking about sex, whether that's deciding to lift heavier weights to get your muscles up in midlife, which is huge, whether that's re-examining your relationship with alcohol, right? Of really like midlife is the time to be like, what am I going to clean up? You know, what what bad habits from my 20s aren't serving me anymore? And that realizing this can be a very empowering time. I love that. I'm going to ask you three fun rapid fire questions, okay? To, cool. to wrap this up. Okay. As a urologist that teaches about sex, I would never put a vaginal tightening gel in my vagina, pay any money for it. I just saw your post on that. Oh my God. <laughs> it's just sad. Isn't Wait, what sad? is like, it? Tell us what it is. What's I, happening? I mean, the, the news, yeah. So I've heard for people who are, don't follow my Instagram that closely, I, I did a little reel on um, <laughs> the authorities confiscated thousands of dollars worth of like Asian vaginal tightening gel in the Minneapolis St. Paul airport this week. And I mean, the funny thing about it is like the the article says dangerous in, in parentheses <laughs> or in like, you know, quotes. But then doesn't describe like what's actually in the product. They just say it's dangerous, but then they put it in like <laughs> quotation marks. I'm like, I don't know what the hell this actually is. Why is the authorities caring about vaginal tightening stuff? Like it's funny that they confiscated like that. They confiscated it's it in so the airport. Funny. Right. I mean, it's so funny. And, and then so it's funny. sad, but right, because you're no, like, no, there, there are apparently women out there, which 
I'm like, I don't know if these women are actually following my Instagram. There's a market my, for this, or they yeah, wouldn't be like sneaking exactly. it in. Exactly. If you did not pay money for this, they wouldn't yeah. be shipping it in from Asia. Oh my lord! Like the cheap knockoff, air quote, dangerous vaginal tightening gel. But yeah, I was actually thinking about that because I'm like, you know, you see those reels of like the doctors being like, as a cardiologist, I would never. And I'm like, put freaking vaginal tightening gel in my <laughs> vagina. <laughs> Okay. And as a urologist that teaches about sex, I always. Uh, you are not broken and use lube. I love it. I love it. Okay. And how, and I just like to ask my guests, since it's called the good life, what does living a good life mean to you, Dr. Kelly? Living your life, not living a life because of how you think you should or what somebody else wants you to do or making sure you're perfect enough or enough of something. Like, a good life is like I I fully know I am living my life. That's pretty kick ass. Yeah, that's kick ass. And I want that for everyone listening. I always love connecting with you. Um, all of the show notes for today will be over at thegoodlifecoach.com. Dr. Casperson's book is You Are Not Broken. That is really at the heart of actually what we're talking about. And it's stop shooting all over your sex life. I'll have the links for this on the show notes page with the first interview that I did. Um, direct everyone to where you like to hang out, Dr. Casperson, and I'll have that on the resources page too. I like to hang out on Instagram. So it's Kelly Casperson MD on Instagram. That's also the website, Kelly Casperson MD. And then the podcast is You Are Not Broken. Okay. And I'll have links for all of that over at thegoodlifecoach.com. Share this with your friends. This is how we do it. Communication was one of the big takeaways from today. Let's get talking. Let's not be embarrassed. Let's be empowered. Let's have a kick-ass midlife and really, you know, enjoy ourselves. And we've got information now that we didn't have before. And I'm so grateful to you for the work you're doing and the way that you show up to. You're truly special. And it's really such a pleasure connecting with you. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. This podcast is presented for entertainment and educational purposes only. Any information provided is not intended to be a substitute for medical, mental health, or other professional advice. Seek out your trusted healthcare provider or other qualified professional for all matters dealing with your health and well-being. Any opinions or information provided by a guest are their own and not those of Michelle Lamoureux or the company.